What is the nature of a character? Is it the numbers and abilities listed on the character sheet, the powers, the spells, the capabilities? Or is it the personality, the things that exist maybe only in the player's head? This is the core question that I think will come up in the next session of play because they're only second level, they're almost completely out of spells, there's almost nothing to be gained by a short rest, and the party has to decide, are they going to go through the secret door and into the cave system where an old enemy is attempting to summon a kraken, or will they decide ultimately to turn around and head home? This is Anatomy of a Campaign. What's ahead in the next session is pretty straightforward. Most of the work has really been handled already. I actually have had to do very little preparation for the next session because we didn't get very far last time. We didn't get through half of what I thought we would. So that means all the prep work that I had done for the last session holds for this one. I think there's a couple of things that I need to tweak and adjust, not to make it easier for them, but simply because now that I've had a little more time to think about things, there's some ideas on how to make it more interesting. But for the most part, this one's been a little bit of a cakewalk for me in terms of preparing. Most of my effort in thinking about and preparing for the upcoming session has been about things outside what the Dungeon Master strictly has control over and what they're supposed to be responsible for, like party cohesion. From last session, I was very concerned about the motivations for the party and how they're really gelling and coming together, how the different manifestations of character across all five of the party members was really working. Coming out of a very robust session zero, I think... I was a bit disheartened, please note the past tense, I was a bit disheartened by how much of a hot mess it kind of struck me um, as being at the very beginning of the, of the last episode. So they pressed on last time and they engaged with the mansion and they fought the water weird and there was this exciting sequence where Bruce's druid mirror passed through the gates of death and in the past uh, couple of weeks, I have formally put down what happens the first time a player character falls below zero hit points and fails a death saving throw. And I was able to share that with him and give him some narrative choices on how that would have changed him after the fact. But all that is new stuff, all that is more detail, all that are more complications. And if anything else, the lesson I took away from the last session was I need less complications for a little bit to allow the party to get their feet underneath them, at least as a group. That being said, the session was a lot of fun. There wasn't anything wrong with that. And I, I think as I molded over more and more and more, I don't think there's any real need to be worried about this because I have something pretty important going for me, and that is I selected awesome players. They agreed to play in the game. And I think they're all going to work together to find a way to make these characters gel just because they haven't gelled on what is essentially their second caper together. 
that's no cause for alarm when you have really good players. I think if I was dealing with players that didn't have a lot of experience role-playing, I should be a little bit more concerned, and I probably would have presented them with a much simpler set of scenarios. For these characters, for these players, I put in front of them a, a, a ton of different complications and choices in more of a sandbox-type environment. And so we find ourselves in the middle of an adventure that, quite honestly, half the party is questioning if they should even be on. So when I say, what is ahead of us in the next session? Well, the answer is, through that door, they're going to find a couple more dead pirates. They're going to find more basement. They're going to have to find another secret door that leads them into the cave system. Not really worried about that. There are two groupings of Kuoatoa in the caverns as they move through. One is really looking through the stuff that the smugglers have hidden in the caves. And the other is, in very disgusting fashion, putting together an idol to their god that is based on the Kraken. And the Kuoatoa, as they have been outlined at least in 5th edition, I don't know if this was true in earlier editions, they have this ability to manifest gods. If Kuoatoa actually decide to believe in something, it actually comes into being. I hadn't known that before I decided to use them, but it really fits with what I'm trying to achieve, so that's kind of cool. How they decide to engage in the cave system is going to be very interesting for me, because we have a mix of extremely tactical players that are, without being able to help themselves, I think, be really focused on success, meaning they're going to do the things necessary to win. This isn't to say they won't be role-playing or that they are going to metagame. I think they're going to just try to be successful given their scenario. And then we've got a couple of other players who, in my estimation, are f they fall far more on the role, R-O-L-E, play side of the game. And they are more interested in engaging in uh, story scenarios as opposed to solving some puzzle in front of them. So it'll be very curious, and I'm, I'm thinking of Calda the wizard in particular, and how they'll act uh, through this whole maze of caverns. Because I think the party can take on each group of Kuoatoa separately. I think it will be very challenging for them with no spells to take on both sets together. So if they engage with one group in a clumsy way, they're going to find themselves surrounded by Kuoatoa pretty early. The next phase of the, of the adventure is at the very bottom when they get into the sea cave, which is where Captain Castigari is attempting to sacrifice a person, which will allow the Kraken to be, this miniature Kraken, to be connected to this sea cave, which would now be dedicated as a temple to the god, the new burgeoning god of the Kraken. Additionally, there's more Kuoatoa. So... I guess the, the, the big outlier is that there is, in fact, a Kraken. There's no way that they can obviously survive anything remotely resembling a direct interaction with the Kraken. I'm assuming they're going to be smart enough not to deal with that, but this is going to be a pretty tough thing to handle if they decide to treat it like they have to beat everything on the board. They have a mission to accomplish. They have to stop Castigari from performing the ritual. That's it. Now, it's gonna, that's going to be hard, but if what they attempt to do is kill everything on the board, well, they're not going to be able to because one of those things is a Kraken. And as I mentioned in a prior uh, audio journal, 
if they disrupt the ritual, well, the Kraken, it's not like he's summoning the Kraken. It's not like he's, I should say, it's not like he's creating the Kraken. The Kraken exists. It's a small little mini Kraken. That sounds like it should be a candy bar or something, like a really evil candy bar, mini Kraken. Anyways, the Kraken will go and will attack Outpost 9 if it is unbound. So you either have a bound Kraken in service to this evil temple that is being constructed by puking it up from Kuotoa in the caverns, just realized I hadn't mentioned that. The Kuotoa, I said they're constructing a, a an idol very disgustingly, and they're doing it by regurgitating stuff from their gullets. That's nice. Anyways, the Kraken will either be bound to this temple and in service here and empower these evil Kuotoa and Castigari and ultimately Nupo, the pirate captain, or it'll be unbound and it'll go and it'll do damage to Outpost 9. Either way is high drama and lots of interesting stuff that's happening. The, the key thing is for the characters to find a way to navigate through this scenario without getting themselves killed. And what's awesome about that is, that's their problem. So what's my plan of attack? There's not a hell of a lot to say because, as I explained, this is already stuff that I've mostly designed. I will say this. I plan on not holding back, which sounds like I'm going to go for their throat. That's not exactly true. I don't see the Kuotoa as particularly cunning adversaries. I think that they have very warp-twisted concepts of reality. I believe they should be disadvantaged in a number of ways when they're out of water, which is how they'll be facing them. So I intend on that. But at the same time, if they do engage, they're going to be engaging to win. They will see the party as a threat. They'll see them as potential sacrifices for their underwater god, and they're going to go for it. So there is the potential for um, casualties at this stage of the of the game. The other thing that I, I intend to do is reveal a little bit about the choices that the Druid Bruce made in his post-surviving the Gates of Death situation. In my write-up that I had sent to him, I gave him a number of choices. The whole point of it is that if you face death and you actually have to fight demons to save your own soul in the land of death, I think that should change you in a significant way. And so I presented a number of options. And the one that he chose, I won't go into all the potential options that I designed, but there are three main options and they have sub-options amongst them. I think I may have a problem with complexity, but that's maybe a different podcast. Anyways, he selected the one where he has a vision of the future. And the vision of the future has an anchor point. The vision always changes, but... I said, there's going to be something about the vision, and one of the things you can pick is a legendary creature. And he chose a dragon turtle. So that means he's going to be having visions of a dragon turtle. And the mechanics of it are that when he should meet this dragon turtle, he will have a chance to interact with it with advantage in one of several social skills. And if he succeeds, the dragon turtle would be friendly towards him. It's an opportunity to create a very strange ally. And the downside is, if he fails, well, he's going to anger a dragon turtle while being within range of a social interaction. What I intend to do is have a sort of waking vision 
right at the beginning. It's kind of how I plan on kicking things off, that he's a little bit out of it, and he's just thinking about what he just moments before went through in the, in the lands of death, and he's going to have his first vision of the dragon turtle. And I think it's going to be a neat little way to open it up, kind of cinematic, kind of interesting and engaging, and then we're going to cut right to, okay, going through this secret door, and then the rest of the, the undercavern system below the mansion. Beyond that, I think it's really just how do they get through the cave system without taking on both sets of Kuo'atoa right away, and then really trying to serve up the scene when they get into the sea cave. I want it to feel extremely creepy. I think I'm going to be tapping into my horror writer chops in order to bring this to life. And I have a little bit more design work to do around the sacrifice, but I'm planning on making it a character that is essentially a cleric. And I have a couple of choices, and I'm going to be honest, I haven't made the choice yet. I can tap into an idea I've had for years and years and years about, you know, hey, there's a, there's a child, not like a little, little kid, but say like a teenager who... Once they really grow up, they are going to be a powerful paladin, and the party has to kind of protect them. Another option is to make it one of the clerics of Pelor that Voss had been involved with. I think that could be an interesting role-playing scenario. But when I think of part of my other mission, which is I need to engage all the players, right? And we had a very role-play-heavy session a couple of sessions ago where two of the players were not as involved. And so I think it behooves me to try to connect with this other player, which is Joe, who's playing the, uh, the half-orc fighter. And I'm trying to noodle through and think if there's a way that I can make this victim meaningful or this potential sacrifice meaningful for him in a way that kind of drags him in. And the idea, which literally just came to me right now, and I think I'm going to go with it, is all of the members of his merchant company were killed on Skagros Island, or were they? What if one of them was just merely badly injured and was captured by Ka and held by Castigari? And it's him. It's one of his compatriots, a boon companion, a shield mate. I think that works. I think that helps to bring in the the, uh, the character that uh, Joe is playing into the mix in a very meaningful way. And he's already one of the characters that's very gung-ho to go after Castigari and basically gut him like a fish for the betrayal on Skagros Island. And so I think this will just fan the flames of that. So overall, the, the plan of attack is pretty straightforward. For me, it's just playing out the scenario that I had already set up and sitting back and being ready to improvise as needed to pay off some of the story for the players. What do I think will work? What do I, I think I have to be a little uh, cautious of? What will work is the basic setup of a dungeon crawl. I think we've We've not had this quite yet, and the caverns are fairly simple. It's not like they're a maze. It'll, it'll tap into another muscle that the players have used a little bit, but not extensively over the past couple of sessions. 
You know, it's interesting to see as you present a scenario to a, a, a party and tell them to deal with it, the more open that scenario is, the more likely they will be to, I don't want to say freeze up because they didn't freeze up, but to really not be comfortable in, in their decision. Because even just having a house that they had to come at, just deciding where to come at the house from, which direction, that adds a dimension that you don't have to deal with in a dungeon. In a dungeon, you start, you're in a corridor, the corridor is going in a certain way. If you come to a fork, you come to a room with multiple doors, it's a constrained and confined environment that's a little easier to, to wrap your head around. And so I, I think just the comfort of being in what will feel like a normal dungeon crawl, I think will work given the free form that the, the campaign has had to this point. Again, it's always about balance. If all you do is walk through dungeons all the time, I know there's folks that say, oh, that's a great campaign too. Uh, that's not for me. I don't, I don't, that won't work for me as a player. And it certainly doesn't work for me as a DM, but I do like dungeon crawls. I want them in the mix. And so we've had, a, I think, a really stellar social encounter session. We've had a planning session that led them to this point. And now we're going to have a bit of a dungeon crawly session. And I think that's kind of cool. The thing I'm most on the watch out for is their resources are fairly tapped. You know, the, the fighter, the ranger, they're fine. And the sorcerer is fine as well, because I, while I think she used one of her spells, I do not believe she has used any of her spell points. So she'll be able to call forth another spell. The wizard, however, is completely out of spells and even a short rest won't help him. So he's just down at cantrips. And the druid is in the same boat. Now, what's interesting for the druid, though, is I feel like the druid can shift into animal form, although I'm not sure how much he has left of that for the day. Um, I don't think he's really done it yet. And he also has his cantrips can, with shillelagh and whatnot, allow him to be a little bit of a melee combatant. So it's not like they're completely neutered, but they don't have their big guns and they've got a couple of tough encounters ahead of them. They've got to play it smart. And if they don't, we could really have this turn into a bit of a debacle, which again would be fine. Part of the fun of the game is having the players get themselves into trouble and have to work them their own way out of it. And how they go about that is the stuff that great games are made of. I, I don't think it's just a function of, hey, we beat these guys and it was easy. It's going to be that moment when they're out of resources. They've got to dig as deep as they possibly can in order to survive. And I don't know that this scenario is going to drive them quite that far, but we may come close and it's all dependent, I think, on this beginning interaction. Do they draw the two sets of Kuo'atoa down on themselves or not? And the danger is if they draw too much heat down on themselves and they just get crushed, it could be very demoralizing. Ooh, natural one. So that's it. Uh, you know, we have a fairly straightforward session. It has the potential to be pretty tough. It gets into ever-increasing hairier or more ten tentacular. There's a joke in there somewhere, but I couldn't find it. We get into more difficult scenarios, which the players are going to have to use their wit and wiles to get through. And that's the stuff that makes the game awesome.
This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing, throwing us a review, or sharing with your other gamer friends. Thanks for listening. <laughs>